When all that sand is gone, I'll quit. That's an hourglass. I'm just kidding. <coughs> Amen. <laughs> Scared some of you folks to death. <laughs> Ooh, praise the Lord. Again, it's so good to have you here this morning. As sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Amen. I'm roaring up here real, real bad. <clears throat> Thank you. I haven't forgotten Joseph. I know last week we left him on his way to Egypt via a Midianite caravan. And we'll, we'll get back to him perhaps in a week or two. Well, I won't next week. I'm not preaching next Sunday. But uh, we'll get back to him. However, in the meantime, at least for today, let's think about our living and how we all go through seasons of life. Now, when I was 18, 19, 20, and 21, I didn't think too much about seasons of life. I thought I'd always have pitch black, shiny, cold black hair when I was that age. I always thought I'd be young and have all that pep and vinegar and all that kind of stuff. And Well, those seasons have long since gone. We don't think much about the seasons of life when we're at that age. We're that point in our life. I didn't give much thought to those things. I had goals in mind and accomplishing those goals. And I began the ministry. I thought my mission and my goal was to save, save the world, and that's the way I went at it. But as I look back on the life that my lovely wife and I have lived, I can readily identify various seasons of our lives. I can identify the season when our children were just toddlers at home and youngsters growing up, and then they became teenagers, and oh, I wouldn't want to relive that season of our life again. And then they reached that age where they thought they knew more than mom and dad did, and I don't want to go through that again. And uh, we went through all those various seasons, and they became adults, and our three boys found them lovely wives and got married, and we went through all those different seasons. When our youngest son was just a baby, I was going through some medical issues that for a time required me to go see the doctor several times throughout every week. This went on for about six or eight months or so, as I recall, and this was a time long before technology had advanced to where it is today. And back in those days when you went to see the doctor, you sat in the doctor's office waiting room, you were privileged to watch daytime television while waiting. Uh, no, I'm not going to go. At one of those visits, a daytime show came on one time, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. And across the screen it said, Days of Our Lives. Then this announcer came on with that announcer-type voice, as they so often do, and he would say, As sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Well, you don't say something like that in the presence of a preacher that somewhere down the road, he will not transition that into some kind of a sermon. Hence, the sermon title, As sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. 
With that said, I invite your attention to Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, as we read in your hearing this morning. As sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. We don't, can't go back yesterday and undo yesterday and get a redo. We can't go back last week. Oh, the sound of abundance of rain. Uh, we can't go back and redo last year. We don't get redos. We can't recall those days and relive them. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome, which is applicable for the church today. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Let us bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for this day. We're thankful for your many rich and your bountiful blessings. Again, we come to you at this time, Lord, as we hear your word. We pray that you will minister and speak through this vessel and these lips this morning. We pray that you'll bless and anoint each of us to hear and receive, and we'll give you the thanks and praise for it all. Bless your word. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. There's a time for weeping. There's also a time for reaping. There's an interesting passage found in the, in the Psalms that goes like this in the 126th Psalm, verses 5 and 6, that says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, my, you see, friends can hold your hand and they can cheer us up and along the way, but shepherding a God-given dream or a vision or a hope to fulfillment always involves watering it with your own tears. Neither fellowship nor friendship can lower the price of personal sacrifice that is required. Now, that's not the, that, that's the not so good news. However, the better than great news is there will be a harvest. All of the commitment, all of the sacrifice, all of the faithfulness that so many of us have committed down to the Lord through all of these years, there will come a day of harvest. Again, that, those two verses say, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. However, I think it is extremely important for us to recognize what season we are in. I'm not in the same season of life that I was 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 
or 20 years ago. You see, my friends, there is a time for weeping. And this is no excuse for passivity, don't misunderstand, or a posture of weakness that reduces us to tears because life's not fair and things are tough. You'll find many instances where life is not fair and things get tough. That's just part of living. Amen. We note in the Bible that Nehemiah, at one point in his life and ministry, was moved to tears over Jerusalem's ruins. When he heard the news of Jerusalem and what had taken place there, he just literally broke down and bawled like a baby. and Broke, broke down into tears. But then he sought God... He developed a plan, put together a team, and he rebuilt the city. So let me ask you this. What does really move you? What moves us? What inspires us? What do we feel passionate about? The second thing that we, it's extremely important to recognize is that there's also a time for reaping. Everything in life has a season, and it also has a reason Those who understand the reason and maximize the season are like a tree, the psalmist said in the very first chapter of Psalms, the third verse, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Man, I want you to note the words in its season. Fruit won't grow before its time, it has a season. That's why we must discern our life's changing seasons and adjust to them. As much as I don't like making adjustments, I've had to do a lot of adjusting over the years as those seasons of life have changed. I have learned that I don't have the stamina that I did 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, or probably even yesterday. We go through those seasons and we need to adjust to them and we need to recognize. That is why we must discern our life's changing seasons and make those necessary adjustments. Have you ever noticed that even restaurant menus remind us that certain dishes are only available in certain seasons? Right? We need to know when it's time to stop weeping and when it's time to start reaping. Otherwise, we're going to miss the harvest. You see, tears are for the sower. Joy is for the reaper. So when your season changes, and it will, harvest your fields with joy. Oh, my wife and I shed some tears when our boys were growing up. There were times when we didn't know we were going to make it. We thought they were going to kill us. But they grew up, they finally learned some lessons, they became good fathers, good providers, good husbands. We we sowed tears for a while, but then when they came along and married good wives and brought them grandbabies into the world, then it was time for reaping, a little rejoicing going on around our place. It's part of the seasons of life. You've paid your dues. Now it's time to enjoy what God has promised you. With that being said, I invite your attentions to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, as I read it from the New International Version, translation of the Bible that says, They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, 
God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Amen. He has prepared a city for them. A gentleman by the name of Mel Blanc was the voice behind the Warner Brothers cartoon characters in Looney Tunes. At the end of every movie, Porky Pig pops up with the same send-off. That's all, folks. Mel Blanc died a number of years ago, and do you know what his family placed on his tombstone? You guessed it. That's all, folks. However, the fact of the matter is, and I said that to say this, it is not over for the born-again child of God. And deep down inside our being, we know that. Instinctively, we know that. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God set eternity in the hearts of men. It's a longing that won't go away. It's why the Egyptians built the pyramids and the Greeks put a gold coin under the tongue of the departed so they could pay the ferryman to cross the, over the river Stye. It's because they knew somehow in their innermost being that when you come to death, that's not the end. Somewhere there is eternity. However, our longing is not just for a longer life. In fact, I'm reminded of the words of Paul as he wrote to the Corinthian church as he was going through the explanation of how this corruptible must put on incorruption and we shall be changed and how he explained that. And then he said in verse 19 in chapter 15, if, this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Amen. Christian College once sent some students door to door. Their objective and their mission was to talk to the people about spiritual issues. So two of them go to this door and they knocked on the door to find a frenzied mother with a frenzied mother of three children with a vacuum sweeper in one hand and a screaming baby in the other. Food burning on the stove and a living room so messy it would have qualified as a federal disaster area. So they asked this frenzied mother, Are you interested in eternal life? And at that moment of frustration and anxiousness, this overwhelmed mom replied, Frankly, I don't think I could stand it. You see, I said that to say this. We don't want more if it's just more of the same. We want what's wrong to be made right. And there's a day when that will take place. I don't want more of the same aches and pains and the frustration of growing older and all that goes along with that. I don't want more of the same. I'm looking for a resurrected body. I'm looking for a new body. A new life. Well, we want to stop. We want suffering to stop, don't we? 
I don't like suffering, do you? I don't know too many people that do. We want clear air, meaningful work, honest politicians. Good luck with that. Clear... <laughs> clear consciousness, ceaseless beauty, and the end of loneliness and war. In other words, we long for heaven, do we not? Oh, yes. And the good news is when Jesus Christ, our Savior, returns, that's where we'll go when it's all said and done. You see, as Paul said, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. You see, here's the thing that I think we must grasp a hold of, and that is this, that all that we have done for Christ precedes us before His return. Our commitment. Sister Dehart, all those years you committed and stayed faithful and done what you knew you needed to do for the glory of God have gone on before you. Amen. All of the years that we spend doing for Christ, the faithfulness, it goes ahead of us at His return. Sam through the hourglass. So are the days of our life. A Christian art form that flourished in the 16th and 17th centuries featured paintings of common objects of beauty. A vase of flowers, a mandolin, a sideboard with fruit and so forth were part of the objects of these paintings. And But tucked somewhere in the paintings would be the two reminders of the passing nature of human existence. James said, What is man's life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little season, and then it vanishes away. For those of us who thought at that time we would remain 21 for forever, we look back now and recognize, whew, if we could just slow it down a little bit. But what is man's life? And I look back now at my age, and those years have swooped by so fast. But tucked away somewhere in that painting would be the two reminders of the passing nature of human existence, a skull and an hourglass. Now please understand, these paintings were called vanitous art. This word vanitous comes from the passage in Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity without God. One generation passes away, the wise man said, and another generation cometh. It's important to note the skull and the hourglass weren't intended to foster gloom. They were just a reminder that every possession and achievement we have is temporal, therefore not worthy of our heart's devotion. They were to prepare us for that moment when we meet God. All that we have committed to Jesus Christ await us in heaven. As the song we sang a little bit earlier, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Oh, when we meet God, then we come to the, understand the meaning and the value of our lives weighed and our eternal rewards are given. Amen. Rusty Goodman, a number of years ago, wrote a song. The title of the song is Leaving on My Mind. And he uses the literal analogy of a home, our house. You know how our houses, we 
do a bunch of stuff to them and it's not long until we realize there's another bunch of stuff we need to do to them. And then we do that bunch of stuff and then it's not long until we realize, oh, it's been 10, 15 years time to put a new roof on the house. And, and all of these things. And he used this analogy. And he, the first verse he said, this whole house I'm living in is needing some repairs. And he's literally transitioning that into our human existence. The windows and the shutters are letting in the cold, cold air. I say to myself, I'm going to fix it when I can get the time, but all I've been getting lately is leaving on my mind. There comes a season and a place in our life when that will be something that will be on our mind. That is that leaving to go to our eternal home. Paul wasn't afraid to speak about death, especially his own. He made this statement in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. As I quote it from the New International Version, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Why would he say that? Because when he come to the end of his road, and he come to death, his victory would have been won, his crown would have been gained, and all that was left for him is that new body and that resurrected life in the presence of Jesus Christ. The 17th century Bishop Jeremy Taylor wrote, and I quote, Since we stay not here, being people, but of a day's abode, we must look somewhere else for an abiding city, a place in another country to fix our house in, whose walls and foundations are God, where we must find rest, or else be restless forever. Amen. Not only did Paul long for heaven, but the patriarchs and heroes of the Old Testament did so as well. In fact, in the apostles' writing to the Hebrew church, talking about those who had gone on before, the patriarchs, those that we read about in the Old Testament, he said all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Amen. Rusty Goodman went on to write, I guess I should be looking for a better place to live. But I can't seem to get excited about the world and what it can give. I couldn't care less if I could buy it all with a solitary dime. What good would this world do me with leaving on my mind? I ask you today, have you placed your hope and your trust? Because just as the sand seeps through the hourglass, the years of our lives slip away. And only what we have done for Jesus Christ will go with us to glory. All of the things that we amass and acquire, although they may be good and they're blessings that are given to us from God, 
only the commitments and the things that we do for Him will go with us. Sister Rhonda, would you come? So as we think about the various seasons of life, and you'll experience them. Some of you have been sitting here this morning thinking back on your life and the various different seasons that you have gone through. The more seasons yet to come. Until one day, we see Him face to face. As the song the hopper sang that I love so well, I didn't see Him go up, but I will see Him when He comes back. And I shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Amen? Where is your hope today? Well, we've got a long way to go yet. We can sing a long time, Sister Rhonda. I'm kidding. But as the sand passes through that hourglass, our lives pass day after day, just go swooping by. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, how the seasons of life have changed.